bad news from the zones, Tumbleweeds. It has been a whole year since we recorded episode three, and we are still not okay. I'm Trevor Ickraff. And I'm Ben Pitt. And hello for the first time in a year. I know we distinctly said at the end of our Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge episode that we wouldn't take another year to record the Black Parade episode, but guess what? We did. So I guess now let's just say, let's say we're an annual podcast. I feel like... At the, like, you know, maybe we'll do more in the future, maybe we'll get back on the horse, but we've, we've made promises before, and I don't know if I want to make them again, but... So I... We talked about this off the air, but I don't hate that we're an annual podcast. I think there's like... Not to use gendered terms here, but I feel like there's some, like, serious big dick energy to being a podcast that only drops one episode per year, you know? And, like, our, our episodes are really high quality, I gotta say. Like, just to just to fully toot my own horn, like, it, it takes a, a great podcast. It takes a full year to really build up the energy we need to put into the episodes in order for them to be as good as they are, you know? It's like a real... Like, for the Pokemon fans out there, it's a real hyper-beam of a podcast. You know, we hit hard, but then we got to take a couple turns yeah. off to recharge our batteries. Exactly. I, I fully agree with that. But we're back now, and we're going to be talking about the next album we have to discuss. But I feel like before we even get into that, we should address all the crazy things that have been going on in the My Chemical Romance uh, fan community. Really, just in the world. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, My Chemical Romance is back together. Yeah. They had a reunion show October 31st, 2019. Cool. Which is already over a year ago. I'm glad you looked that up because I was just about to ask you when it happened. I did not remember. Halloween Day 2019. They came back kind of out of nowhere. I feel like the news leaked like half an hour before it happened. Do you remember that? I think it it, it leaked like a couple weeks before. Well, it came out like a couple weeks before they did it because they. the tickets went on sale. Right. I just, I feel like the tickets like went up for sale like half an hour or something before they actually announced it. And then they took them down and everyone was like, wait, did we just see that right? That, that feels possible. I didn't get a ticket. Unfortunately, I totally missed it. Right. Were, like, I also already did, sold out by the time I heard. About it. I did not go to that show either, but you got a ticket to the tour that they subsequently announced. I did. I had a ticket to the, the fall 2020 in LA show and that is that was subsequently canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic the novel fucking coronavirus dude it's fucking everything up even the my chemical romance reunion you know they if they had come back a year earlier I it would have been fine but you know we're back so at least we get one nice thing exactly and i wanted to say that we're doing this episode because i'm visiting you for uh thanksgiving so this is the first time this podcast is being recorded in the same room together. Which is really nice. I yeah. actually liked it. And and just to like, you know, show the audience how the sausage was made, you and I just sat down and listened to the entire Black Parade album from start to finish, basically silently mm-hmm. in preparation for this episode. So I definitely can I, I just wanted to say that because I feel like we're gonna reference that experience a few times during the episode. Yeah, I didn't give you a ton of notice to do this episode. I didn't really prepare any notes, like, in the process of, like, getting myself ready to do it, just because, you know, it was pre-Thanksgiving Day week, I had a lot to do, couldn't really fit in the time to, like, write a bunch of thoughts about My Chemical Romance down, but, you know, this is obviously an album that I know a lot about, and, like, I have a lot of feelings about, so I feel pretty good, just kind of, like, going off book, doing a more casual in the room sesh with you. I feel very ready, I feel like we're gonna, we're gonna bring our, our thoughts to this album, and I think... I think a bunch of re- too much research is going to bog down the soup on this one. Yes, I think. yes. This is too 
my my opinions on this album album are too emotional for me to like need the factual. Mm-hmm. I think. You want to go raw, no filter. Let's before we get into this album though, let's talk about My Chemical Romance as last we left them. Right. So they put out three cheers for Sweet Revenge at the time, a big breakthrough record for them. Uh, they went on all kinds of big tours to promote it. They fired their original drummer Matt Pelissier a.k.a. Otter, in favor of this new guy, Bob Breyer, who is now going to be the drummer on this album. Right. The only studio album he ends up being on, weirdly enough. But yes, uh, from the, like, right after the release of Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, Bob Breyer comes in. He's in all the music videos. Like, Otter's not even in any of the Three Cheers music videos. All through the Three Cheers tour, all through the writing process for Black Parade, the recording, and the touring for Black Parade, we have Bob Breyer as the drummer. And Bob Breyer reportedly played a pretty big role in Gerard feeling like he was ready to record, like the band was ready to record this big album that he would initially see as their third record. I, I did return to the uh, My Comic Romance biography that I had been reading in advance of our last episode, which like, I can't remember the title of it at the moment, but there's a, a quote in there in which Gerard says, like, I knew we were ready to like make our bit up an even bigger statement. We weren't ready before because we just weren't as sharp musicians and we didn't have Bob in the band. But now they've got Bob Breyer yeah, and they're, they're ready to make another album. First, though, they, they record a bunch of stuff that ends up getting thrown out, reportedly. Like, they, they did this big tour to promote Three Cheers. They did a lot of writing on that tour. They had, like, a little studio on their tour bus or something. And they record a lot of songs that end up getting thrown out. Uh, as a result of that, I've got a quote in which Frank said, they got Revenge Part 2 out of their systems. So clearly, by the time that they got to this record, they were ready to do something very different from Revenge, and I think you can clearly see that in the resulting product. That's interesting that they that they had like a whole like Three Cheers 2 that they dumped, because that would sort of famously happen again after this record. Mm-hmm. They would record like a whole album's worth of content and then scrap it before they... like write the songs that are actually associated with the next record. That's right. Um, apparently they didn't scrap everything, though. Like, I believe a couple tracks that did make it onto the record do, for, like, date back to those early writing sessions. Like, I think even Mama was, like, from those first, like, initial sessions. But after, after they get off that tour, uh, they, they convene in New York to start serious talks about what they want LP3 to be like. Right. And this is where they really decide that they want to make something that's, like, timeless, that their fans can pass down to their kids. It felt like, they, they felt like there was a lot of contemporary music that wasn't going to last. They wanted to, some, they wanted to make something that people would pass down the same way, like, they passed down records by bands like, like the Beatles and Queen. You know, like, here's what I was listening to when I was a teenager. Go check this out. It rules. Right. I, I saw the first, uh, or saw the, uh, the four albums that were le- that are considered like the biggest influences on the Black Parade, which I think is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Pink Floyd's The Wall, yep. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, mm-hmm. A Night at the Opera, and The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. I, I heard that the album was originally going to be called The Rise and Fall of My Chemical Romance as an intentional nod to Ziggy Stardust. That would make sense. I have heard in interviews Gerard Way describe Ziggy Stardust as his Desert Island album. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that that's an album that that holds a lot of, uh, holds a special place in Gerard's heart. 
And I there are a couple parallels I'm gonna to that album that I'm gonna call up when we get to our track by track breakdown. Mm-hmm. And right right now I would like to talk very specifically about two different members of My Chemical Romance and kind of where they were going into this album. The first is of course Gerard. This is famously the first My Chemical Romance album that he wrote and worked on having gotten sober. Yeah, this is the first sober My Chemical Romance album. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays a big part into in the sound, in the lyrics, and in the production, like in the narrative that it's telling. I think I think this is a getting sober allegory. It is. De- I 100% agree with you. I think there's a very strong narrative in this record. I do think it's an allegory for Gerard getting sober. And it just strikes me as like so Gerard that like once he gets off the booze, once he gets off the pills, he's like, okay, we're not going to be a punk band anymore. Now we are going to write Broadway show tunes. <laughs> and like, that's, I, I, I think about him selling that to the band, yeah. you know? And like, I just picture him like, like sitting in front of them being like, okay, like I'm sober. We've fired my like best childhood friend who played drums and was the first person that like, was in this band with me. We're going to make a Broadway album. Like, it's going to be something that, like, can, kids can pass down. And I picture of the other remaining band members, they're all sitting there kind of nodding, and they're like, okay, okay, okay. And then he goes, and it's going to sound like a classic rock David Bowie Queen record. At which point, I have always pictured Ray yeah. just jumping out of his chair and like, fuck yes! Finally! This feels like the record that Ray has been waiting for them to make his entire career. Yeah. Like, they're always doing, like, pop-punk shit and post-hardcore shit, and Ray is always just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna add, like, like a Brian May guitar solo to this, if that's cool. And they're like, yeah, sure. Now it's like everyone has finally reached his level, and he's like, hell yeah. Yeah, I can imagine him, like, standing up and, like, starting a slow clap, and then <laughs> no one joining in. Yeah. Like, you guys don't, you guys... No one else, like, he immediately, like, jumps up and stands next to Gerard, and he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, guys, yeah. we're gonna get started awesome. right awesome. now. I am fully on board. That definitely feels in line. Who do you think was the most, like, taken aback? Do you think it was Frank, or do you think it was Bob? I mean, Bo- Bob sounds like he was on board for whatever they wanted to do. You know, he sounded like he was really geared up to be in the so band from minute one. He's like, glad yeah, Glad he dude. wasn't a sound guy anymore, basically. And glad he wasn't, like, Otter, you know? Right, sure. Just happy to be there. Um, Mikey famously had a lot of trepidations about being in the band in general uh, during this period, but we'll talk about that more as we get to it, I think. At this point, they hire producer Rob Cavallo, who has produced five Green Day albums, including including both American Idiot and Doopie, which is impressive. That's a lot of range. Two very different sounding records. More importantly, though, for the band's vision, he also produced the soundtrack to the musical Rent. Interesting. Did you know that? No, and I was Me looking at stuff about this album, and I, yeah. I missed that. That's interesting. So they told him what they wanted the record to be, and he was immediately on board. He's like, yes, I'll work with you. It's going to be great. And they begin recording the album in April. Uh, but rather than use a traditional recording studio, uh, the band makes the decision, which I imagine now maybe they regret, to move into the Canfield Moreno Estate uh, near Michael Torreno, Los Angeles. Uh, this is places better, perhaps better known today as the Paramore Mansion. How familiar are you with the Paramore Mansion and the band's time there? Only a little bit. I'm really excited for you to okay. like, explore it some more. We got to talk about the Paramore Mansion. It's this big Mediterranean-style building, first constructed in 1923 for Antonio Moreno, who was this uh, famous silent movie star 
who'd recently married Daisy Canfield Danziger, an oil heiress. Okay. So, ten years after they move into the place, Daisy dies in this bizarre car crash, uh, during which, like, her driver survives. He said it was very foggy and stuff. Interesting. Not a lot of details are clear. Spooky. Yeah, it was rumored that Antonio had murdered her, but that's, you know, really a whole other story. His film career began to decline once silent films became less popular than, you know, movies with sound in them. They had a shitty voice. Yeah. And he subsequently sold the estate to a foundation that turned it into a school for underprivileged girls. It was then also briefly utilized as a convent for Franciscan nuns. That feels like the kind of place that Gerard Way would be like, we're going to go make our album there. Yeah. Um, We'll talk more about that in, like, just a hot second. But in 1987... The estate was damaged by a 6.0 earthquake, uh, after which it was sold to philanthropist and developer Dana Hollister, who renamed it the Paramore Mansion and converted it into an upmarket resident filming location and a recording studio. Since then, it's famously been used by film and musical artists like David Lynch, the Coen Brothers, Elton John, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was all at the same time, which is really cool. (laughs) And if there's anything, one thing, if there's any one thing that all those guys will test to, it's that the Paramore Mansion is extremely haunted. Yeah, this is the only thing I know about it at all. Yeah. Is that it's very famously haunted. I actually have a, a quote here from the, uh, uh, the guitar, oh, sorry, the drummer from Papa Roach. Okay. Uh, Dave Brucker, Bruckner. Papa Roach recorded in this uh, studio, in this mansion, and uh, Dave Bruckner has said, at that, like, during the session, he was visited by interdimensional beings, had out-of-body sex with spirits from old Hollywood, learned how to see specters, and now know what it feels like to have a ghost walk through me. It's a very enlightening and, ex- and inspiring experience, and something to check off the list. Was he talking about staying there, or was he talking about watching Ghostbusters? That's, that's a good question. Gerard himself also has, like, some quotes about the mansion being definitely haunted uh he says that while they were staying there doors would slam faucets would turn off you'd get a bath drawn for you a freezing cold water in your room and you wouldn't know why uh it was also like just super unnaturally cold he said it was very strange since it was very hot outside but only 40 degrees inside we wore jackets all day long and bought every space heater in the los angeles area damn yeah and like gerard was of course super into this But Mikey was, like, not on board. He was allegedly very freaked out. Uh, Like, he lived in what was reportedly, like, the most haunted room uh, in the mansion. Why would you put Mikey in the most haunted room? It was called the Blue Room because it just had this single blue light bulb in it. No. And, like, the stories are that he would, like, every night sneak out of the room and, like, sneak into Gerard's room and sleep on his floor rather than spend the night in the Blue Room. Interesting. Yeah. That's weird. And the sessions in the Paramore Mansion, besides the whole haunted thing, were, like, allegedly, like, a really hard time for the band, too. Like, they were going through all this heavy emotional stuff. Uh, I think one of them, maybe Gerard, I can't really remember, like, broke up with their significant other at that point. They had this whole room. Makes sense. Yeah, they had this pretty famous breakup song on this album. That's true. They had this whole room called the Heavy Room, which was specifically devoted to them going into and being brutally honest with each other and, like, getting everything out there. 
like where Frankie Hero is like, I don't want to make a classic rock record. I want to make a punk rock record. Yeah, Q Ray just like punching up a hole in the wall. <laughs> Ray was allegedly very intense during these she- these sessions, and like it reportedly like really freaked out some of the other members of the band, like particularly Mikey. Like Ray has like gone on in interviews to like apologize to like the rest of the band. Like about how intense he was during the recording sessions. Do you think it's because he was either like a just so excited to be making the record he's always wanted to make and didn't want to fuck it up, or b he was possessed? Possession definitely feels like something that we should not take off the title. But yeah, it's hard to ignore the fact that like he was must have just been so jacked up to like yeah. make this queen ass sounding record. Like I feel like that's how I would be if I was like on set making a Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? Like. If someone was like, you're going to direct the next Star Wars movie, people would be like, you need to take a chill pill. Be like, yeah. no, you don't understand. Gerard was even worse, though, because, like... He was getting sober? He, he had just gotten sober, and I think to compensate for not having, like, the substances to fall back on anymore, he just instead goes, like, super method with it. Like, way too method. There are all these quotes from around this period where he's like, we're a dark band, and if we're not suffering and, like, going through hell while we're making our music, it's not going to be authentic. The only people who have things to say are people who have suffered. And, yes. like, he falls super deep into this concept that he starts developing that has to do with, like, cancer patients. He, like, cuts his hair and bleaches it so he yeah. looks like a cancer patient. He, like, puts up all these, like, in his room in the mansion, he puts up all these, like, pieces of paper that say things like cancer and death. Yikes. And, like, dismemberment and just all this stuff. And the rest of the band really starts worrying about him. Right. But they just keep pressing on and making this album. Eventually, Mikey gets, like, so overwhelmed by the whole process that he, like, like basically quits the band. He goes and lives with, like, their accountant or something or, like, their manager. He stays with her while they continue to live in the mansion and write it and record it. I only just learned about that while doing research for this episode. Mm-hmm. But eventually he's kind of... Like, they convince him to rejoin the band full-time. I think that's probably something that we'll talk more about during the track review. Yeah. Um, see, is there anything else I want to say before we get into talking about the actual songs? Yeah, I have a couple other things. Yeah. Um, just, like, what what a juggernaut this album turns out to be. Yeah. Like, it's released on October 20th, 2006. It has a European release. That is also my 13th birthday, Mm -hmm. and I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that that is, like, part of why I love My Chemical Romance. I've said before, the first track I ever heard was was watching the music video for Welcome to the Black Parade, and I must have been 13, because that's when this came out, and the rest is just history. And it wasn't just me that really resonated with this album. It debuted at number two on both the Billboard 200 and the UK album charts. And this is just, all in all, far and away the band's like biggest commercial success, which has always seemed a little surprising to me. It doesn't really seem so commercial to me. I, I guess it has that like classic rock feel, but it doesn't seem like a, like a... It doesn't seem like that was what was popular at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Yeah, there is an element of, of it that I don't like it. It surprises me that it was so successful. Although, I think, like, they had set themselves up really well after having just broken through with Three Cheers. If they were able to, like, deliver a product that, like, was at least as good as that, I think they, like, were poised to 
be a big success at this point. And it also does speak to the whole, like, David Bowie of it all, too, where it's like, David Bowie was famously known for reinventing himself, like, after, like, a certain, every project or so. And so the fact that they, like, went from, like, goth vampire boys in, like, suits and blood makeup from the last album to, like, Sgt. Pepper's Dead and this is a stage show about a guy with cancer does feel like a an evolution where they're like, we just are upping the ante, which I really like. I'm glad you brought up the concept of reinvention because I think that this is where we see them really do it for the first time. There were, from what I remember, there were even serious talks in the band that they wanted to change the name of the group from My Chemical Romance to The Black Braid. And I think they, they didn't, you know, officially change it, obviously. But I do think when they, like, did press appearances and, like, when they introduced themselves live, they would introduce themselves as, like, the Black Parade, right? Yeah, and right? there's, like, a specific last concert that's, like, the last My Chemical Romance concert mm-hmm. as the Black Parade. Yeah. Which is, like, in... Which is also a Halloween show, I think. Um, is that the one they released as a live album? As I've a never live really album. checked that out. I have watched it before, mm-hmm. um, not in a long time. But, yeah, it's a pretty solid live album, and that is... That's the Black Parade is dead, obviously. Yeah. Because... What do you think about the idea to change the band name from My Chemical Romance to The Black Parade at this point? Because My Chemical Romance feels so specifically like it's tied to the period of Gerard's life in which he was, like, seriously, like, abusing substances. And, like, considering this is the album where he has put that behind him, is it still as applicable a band name? Uh, that's a great question. I, yes and no. I... I don't think they could successfully change the band name. I think that would lose them so much goodwill Mm -hmm. from, like, their previous two albums. I like that they are able to, like, change the whole band's persona to the Black Parade in the same way that, like, Ziggy Stardust is still released as David Bowie, but he performed as Ziggy Stardust. And, like, he did that a few times. He had characters he was playing, but he never changed the name of the 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 release artist name to whatever character he was playing. Mm -hmm. And I do still think My Chemical Romance works as a band name for this phase because while Gerard has stopped abusing substances, it very much feels like this is almost like the postscript to that phase of his life and like him reflecting on it. I like, as we get into danger days, obviously like, I don't know, maybe chemical will take on a different kind of connotation there, (laughs) but like they definitely, the band had, Largely stopped being about Gerard's substance abuse problems in that era yeah. in a way that it hadn't quite entirely finished you still up with need this the one. Sober record, right? yes, and I think that that is definitely what this is. This is the denouement to like the first two albums, mm-hmm. which it's, is this big rock opera, which yeah. is very cool. Yeah, definitely. It's it's uh, let's just in general. I, I feel like I've already gotten my impression from you talking about how you responded to it when it released. You were a big fan of this record when it came out. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I've said on previous episodes that I ended up buying them all in order, but like YouTube was already around. I listened to most, if not, but not all of the songs, but I'd listened to most of them on YouTube. I'd looked at, I definitely watched the music videos all the time. I, I got their other CDs because of, of Welcome to the Black Parade and how much I liked it. And for like from like 13 to 16 i would say that like this record and their previous two records were like every day 
pretty much the only thing I like. If you ask me to name my favorite band, it would be My Chemical Romance without hesitation, and I'd have to think about what other bands I would add to my like top five. I also responded to this one like really positively when it came out. I kind of grew up on classic rock, like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and Queen and stuff. So to see that this band, who I had grown to love already as a pop punk outfit, adopt a more a, a sound that more resembled the music I was raised on was really exciting for sure. me. And I thought that they were doing it really well. I will say that I do remember getting burnt out on this record a lot quicker than Three Cheers and... Well, I never really was into bullets as a teenager, so I can't really even say bullets. But it did not have, it didn't quite have the lasting power that Three Cheers did for me. Sure. I I don't know if I got burnt out on it as fast. I would say that there were more songs I would skip on this record than there were on their previous two records for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I've as I've grown and matured and, and matured with this album, I would say that it still holds up as, as one of the greats. Definitely, like, not my favorite My Chemical Romance album today, I will say, which is, you know, kind of a maybe controversial choice, considering it has really turned into be, like, their definitive statement, I would say. As, as big uh, Three Cheers fans as you and I are, I think we can both agree that, like, when you look back at the band, like, this is kind of the era that most people associate with them. Definitely. This yeah. is, def- this, they never topped the success of this album and i doubt they ever actually will so let's get like really into it and talk about it because i've got thoughts about these tracks i've got a whole narrative that i i wanted i've been looking forward to walking you through i'm sure you've got stuff like that prepared as well narrative too so i'm very curious to see how ours compare let's jump into it then starting with the end now come on come all to this tragic affair Wipe off that makeup, what's in is despair So throw on the black dress, mix in with the lot You might wake up and notice you're someone you're not If you look in the mirror and don't like what you see You can find out firsthand what it's like to be me So gather round, piggies, and kiss this goodbye I'd encourage your smiles, I'd expect you won't cry This is such a strong album opener. Absolutely. It's immediately a really big stylistic departure from Three Cheers. It's a great opener that announces like this new version of the band. You know, like you said, this was a real reinvention of their image and their sound. And they don't waste like a single second before they introduce you to it. They really set up this whole new My Chemical Romance for you to just like get right in and experience. And it's such a great, like, stage dressing song. Yeah. Right? Like, everyone's coming out and coming around for this song. And, like, the set's being populated and, like, someone's singing it. And, like, it does feel like the opening track to a musical in the same way that, like, um, Sweeney Todd has that opening song that was cut from the movie about, like, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Like, they're telling you, like, they're setting up the world. Yeah, when I when I picture the stage performance of Black Parade. Right now, it is just like Gerard on stage by himself with like a single spotlight singing this. And as it goes on and on, you see everything assembling behind him. And by the time everything kicks in, everybody is in their proper place to really aid in the big cacophony of sound. Totally agree. It also has a lot of uh, five-year vibes. Yeah, it's very much like Five Years by David Bowie, 
I, I did read that that was on their like psych up playlist before sure. they would go on stage, so I could see where that influence would leak in. It sounds like five years plus plus this song from the wall in the flesh. It okay. really has a lot of sonic elements that are similar to in the flesh. I really need to listen to more Pink Floyd. You would like the wall. You definitely like the wall if you like this album because it is very much the emo pop punk the wall. That being said, okay, I'm glad you brought that up specifically because as much as I like this song, it is sort of like. If I was recommending this band to someone and I was like, oh, start with this album, this is a very emo first song. Like, yeah. It's hard for me to be like, oh, Gerard Way doesn't even consider the band emo, but also this song exists. You're writing lyrics that make it sound like you're designing like t-shirts for Hot Topic. If you look in the mirror and don't like what you see, you can find out firsthand what it's like to be me. When I grow up, I want to be nothing at all. Right. Like, like the band is more emo than ever, and I can respect that. I don't mind that. With it at no. all, but like if you are not, if you are anti emo, I do, I do think that My Chemical Romance has something to offer for you because I don't think they are as like ubiquitously emo, quote unquote, as a lot of people claim. But this one's probably never going to rank in your top five. I have a slightly different problem with this song and this album in general it's not that it's too emo for me it is occasionally too broadway okay you know i i like the theater i'm yeah. I'm, I'm a theater going guy back when that was a thing right and i like i can do me a good show tune but like when i listen to my chemical romance i'm not necessarily going for the broadway show tune theatrical experience like you know i like them better as a punk band than i do as like a punk band that has been written to that has been hired to write a soundtrack for a Disney musical or something. Sure. Which is what some of this occasionally does sound like. I would agree with that, especially yeah. in the, like the production and the backing vocals more mm -hmm. than like Gerard himself or any of the like other band members. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely feel like this is one of the showiest songs, but it's a great album opener. Yeah. It, it sets you up for the narrative. Yep. What, I, what does help me get past that show tunes block that I frequently struggle with is just getting past the sound of it and looking at it conceptually, like My Chemical Romance, writing show tunes. That is something that I like more than just show tunes conceptually. Let's talk about the narrative, though, because like, we yeah. should start. The album has started. Yeah. The story has begun. Do you, like, how should we do this? Because I have a very solid, like, I've always had a very strong idea of what I think this album is about. Gerard has touched on it in interviews, yeah. but he's never really sat down and walked you through it plot beat by plot beat, yeah. just giving you details like, oh, it's about like a guy in his 30s who's named like The Patient, and like he has this terminal illness that may or may not be cancer. Right, and I think it, it I mean, let's just come out and say from here on out that it is cancer, just because there's a song later called Cancer, mm -hmm. and I think that that makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and I think there's something to the fact that the patient is, like, not a very good guy. I have a very distinct, like, picture of who he is in my head. And, like, this plays into the plot later. I think he is, uh, one, a former drug addict. Yeah. And two, ex-military, specifically having served at, like, the Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq. Okay. I'm which... not sure I go, I go that far, like, that specific with it mm -hmm. but i but everybody remembers that right you know those horrible images yeah. of 
Iraqi prisoners being tortured by American soldiers. Yeah. Real gruesome shit went on there. That would be very timely for, like, when this album came out. Mm -hmm. And, like, let's not forget that this is a post-9-11 ban in general. So it would make some sense. Yeah. I definitely see him as someone who wasn't a very good guy. I kind of think of him as, like, Alex from A Clockwork Orange. Okay. Like, maybe, but obviously a little older. Yeah. So I think the ex-military makes some sense. But I think he ran around with some, like, not great friends and treated everyone in this life like garbage and Mm -hmm. then found out he had cancer and was like, oh, fuck. I do actually think at this point in his life, he has kind of tried to put his past behind him and is trying to go at things from a more straight and narrow approach. But, like, this diagnosis is going to fuck him up in a bad way and we're going to start seeing some, like, demons from his past re-arise. Do you think the album is linear? Or do you... I've always thought thought that the narrative of the album was backwards from the track listing. I do, like, think there are some backwards elements to it. I don't know if I'm going to get too into that, just because I don't want to, like, muddy the waters of, like, what I want to say about it. Right. But I do think, like, we're seeing, like, we start off with, like, there's a lot of reflection in this album. It's like a weird phantasmagorical journey of reflection. And I think the things we reflect on first are things that have been happening more recent for, for him. And then we travel back into the past yeah. and see some of his demons from his earlier adulthood and from his childhood. Yeah, it's very filmic. Yeah. It? And yeah. again, a lot like a Broadway musical. I think this next song is a lot like a, a show tune as well. We got Dead. love the way the end transitions so perfectly into dead it's got to be one of the best transitions on any record right yeah certainly one of the best track transitions in the mcr catalog and this really does feel like thinking of the album as a stage show this is where the entire it is the first big number with the entire ensemble you know this is this is the part where like the cast members all run down and enter through the aisles and stuff and everyone starts singing the big like flagship song from the from the production. Yeah, and I think Dead is a great flagship production. I I really like Dead. I, I do have to say off the bat, I'm a little disappointed as a My Chemical Romance fan to say that the first place I heard this song was in Guitar Hero 2. I remember that it was in Guitar Hero. Yeah, it was a very fun track to play in Guitar Hero. And I immediately was like, oh my god, there's a My Chemical Romance song? I love My Chemical Romance. What song? And I didn't know it, and I was like disappointed at the time played through the track and I was like I like it I'm in nice and it's this this song rocks yeah musically it's like this big bouncy brick pop track influenced by bands like you know like I've said before Blur or Queen the Beatles there's some electro quiet orchestra in here there's some tre- cheap trick influences 
The guitar solo is influenced by Woody Woodpecker's laugh. Do you know anything about that? No, but I know what Woody Woodpecker's laugh sounds like. Do an impression of Woody Woodpecker's laugh. <laughs> yeah. There's that part where Ray's guitar goes like... Yeah. It is in there. So there's a lot going on in this track. It is definitely one of like... It feels like one of the more musically ambitious ones on on the record. I mean, that entire big musical climax is amazing. And like one of my favorite parts of the album for sure. The guitar solo, like I said, that rules. There's all these horns and pianos going off. Just... A lot, a lot of great stuff happening musically in this song. It's one. Of, it's always been one of my favorite musical moments on the record. Me too. I, I, I don't think this was ever in my top three, even as a kid. But it's always been just it outside. Almost right it almost gets up there. It almost gets up there. Yeah, I agree. This is probably my like four or five, number four or five on the record. And it was hard for me to pick my top three. Mm-hmm. Like this was definitely uh, in strong consideration the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of the ones I enjoy listening to the most. What do you think of the exclamation point in the title? I think that's good. I like that. I I think it's... I'm not sure how I feel about the fact that both the first track and the second track have exclamation... or have punctuation points, and the rest of the songs do not. But, you know, I I like them both in their respective cases. Yeah, I would would agree with that. Like, it works for me less as back-to-back songs yep. as it does that each individual song does need that punctuation for it to be titled so well. Yeah, this one also, again, like the last song, emo as fuck. Like, that last line at the end, if life ain't just a joke, then why aren't we laughing? That's like, that feels very hot topic emo, like it, very of the moment in a good way. It does lyrically, but sonically, it's such a departure. Yes, I can't agree more. Yeah, and I think that if you were out on the first track, I hope you stuck around because I think that Dead has a lot to offer. I agree. Yeah, totally. Narratively, I think this is an important one too because yeah. this is where the patient first gets his like terminal diagnosis. I think in the track itself, they say you have just two weeks to live. Yeah, I don't know if that's like literal or if it's just supposed to be like a hyperbole that represents the fact that he does not have a lot of time left. But either way, this guy is clearly inevitably on the way out. I think. Yeah, I think in. In the narrative, if the narrative is jumping around, like, he does, like, is dead or about to die at this point in the film. And we're going to, like, jump back and see who he is a little bit more. Yeah, I think he's gotten the death sentence, and that to him is as good as being dead. Which is why we get that flatline sound at the beginning. Yeah. That is, I think, when he hears the news. I think that that's a good reading of it. I also think that it's almost like cathartic to him in a way so he's able to like release all this like emotion and rage that he's held like bottled down and that's why the song is so upbeat sounding yeah there's definitely a real irony to the upbeat sound of this one too which is something that my chemical romance i feel like has flirted with in the past yeah like going back to head first for halos that's a really bouncy chipper song about being very depressed and taking pills whereas this is a very bouncy chipper song about having just like been told that you're terminally ill and going to die soon. Yeah, not in like the way it's mastered or produced, but I do think that that Three Cheers era My Chemical Romance would do a really good cover of Dead, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could see that too. It's not the song on the record that reminds me the most of the Three Cheers material, but it's one that leans a little closer towards that kind of at least the energy of that album. It's almost reassuring fans being like, there is still something from the last record 
in this record that you will still be able to like latch onto. Well, and, still being a pretty significant musical departure, I would yeah, say. Yeah, and I think a lot of that does come from the production. From the production, and I think Rob Cavallo really kills it on this whole record. Yeah, he makes the entire thing sound so slick and so like well produced. It's like uh, if bullets. Two, three cheers was a real was a was a real like showcase in them cleaning up their sound. They really tighten it up here. Yeah, this and, feels like a studio album. Yeah, and I think Bob Breyer. I can see why Gerard was so like he felt he was so integral to this part of the band because I don't know if like Otter's drumming style would work on these songs at all. No, he's so much sloppier and messier and punker. Whereas Bob Breyer feels like a very professional like studio musician helping the band like nail all of these songs. I totally agree. And I'm pretty sure he has like a heavy metal background too. So mm-hmm. like he's bringing some interesting unique flair to the to the sound of this record too. You got anything else to say about this one or should we move on to another song that I that I think has some pretty unique and interesting flair to it? This is how I disappear. One that didn't re- like, never really sunk its teeth into me as a teenager. I thought it was a cool track, but never one of my favorites. The last couple times I've revisited the album, like thinking about doing this episode, this one has really jumped out at me, and I've, it's really grown on me in a big way. Not quite my top three, but again, it's pretty close. Cool. I would agree it's never been one of my favorites. It's still not, but it's a real banger, and it starts so Strong. The intro is fucking sick. Just the cymbals and then the guitar and the drums build up and build and build and build until Gerard's just like, go! Go! Yeah, the intro is really powerful and it's like, it feels like one of the most muscular and anti pop moves that they've made probably since Bullets. Yeah. Like, this is like real album cut material. Yeah. You know, like, like, it's definitely an album track. And uh, I, I really have been looking forward to talking about this one in terms of the narrative. Me too. too. This one was allegedly inspired by uh, Houdini's wife, okay. who famously tried to like reach out and contact Houdini after his death. Houdini, you know, has always been yeah. kind of part of the Michael Romance mythos. Yeah. There was that picture of him uh, in the straitjacket. 
on the cover on, of on bullets. bullets. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that this is about uh, Houdini and his wife because I think this song is about someone who the patient is in a relationship with. Yeah. At this point in the story, following uh, him receiving his terminal uh, diagnosis. I think he decides to cut things off with this person he's been seeing that has like been going like surprisingly well for him and like really does represent him turning his life around. But I think once he gets this diagnosis, he decides like, I don't want anyone with me while I go through my last days. I just want to like, it's time to go back to the old me. I'm going to fucking self-destruct. And I'm going to tell this person that like, you know, I actually don't know if he tells them that he's terminally ill. No, I Or if he just breaks things off with that. My interpretation is that he doesn't. He just basically relapses into his old personality. Mm-hmm. Like the my reading of this narrative is that they were he was he was a really bad dude, very like Alex and his droogs. He like got this girlfriend, was trying to like clean up his life was ha- was still like really like on the outs with his family. I think we're going to get into some family stuff mm-hmm. later. But at least had like this one good thing in his life that didn't just like piss him off and make him like feel monstrous and then he like find out found out he was terminally ill and he just immediately cut out the thing that he that was making him good and relapses into this like shitty personality. I think he like specifically I think he in like cuts off this relationship and he decides that he's now going to like end his own life on his own terms by going on this massive drug bender. I think that's right. Which we'll talk more about in a second, but I like just wanted to spend a few more seconds talking about the song, like as a song, yeah, because it's really great. It's got this super amazing bridge, which is one of my favorite parts of the yeah. album right up there with all the great bridges from three cheers. Uh, it features my favorite use of the F bomb in an MZR song. We listened to that yesterday because yeah. I like really wanted to show it to you. And it just like gets so heavy during that part, you know? It does. It's this song is so atmospheric. Like this is mm-hmm. a great narrative song. And I'd really like to see like the dialogue scenes that take place. Like I think that uh the end and dead obviously like are consecutive in the in would be consecutive in the play. Yeah. But then there would be like several talking scenes before we got to the next big number Mm -hmm. to this. And I think that like the, the atmosphere has been set like, and, and they're leaning into it on this song. I really like it. Yeah. Like you said, a really atmospheric track. There are so many like interesting background noises and stuff buried in the mix. I think there are just like tracks upon tracks in the bridge of Gerard, just like screaming like a demon. There's some really interesting Gerard layers going on Mm -hmm. throughout this record. Like, Like a lot of songs, he's just like, whispering in this like really like gravelly voice like drug addled just intro- manic and it's just layered under there and like this is this whole album is really kick-ass in stereo too because you can like hear the way the layers are really low and sometimes they're on the left and sometimes they're on the right and like sometimes they're moving and it's it's really good yeah like we've said really well produced album there's a lot of cool mixing and stuff in it definitely definitely shows that they brought in like a a guy who is well familiar with producing like theatrical arrangements. Yeah, it feels like in the in the stage version, like the left so- stage left is all going to sing this this line, and then stage right is going to sing the next. I line. could easily see something like that. Yeah, you got anything more for this one? No. Cool. Let's move on to the sharpest lives. When you're out on your own If I crash on the couch Can I sleep in my clothes? Cause I spent the night dancing I'm drunk, I suppose If it 
looks like I'm laughing I'm really just asking to leave this alone You're in time for the show You're the one that I need I'm the one that you loathe You can watch me corrode like a beast in repose Cause I love all the boys in a This is a song, what you just said about, but the last track is how I feel about this one. Like on my recent re-listens, it's still not quite in my top three, but I've been realizing how much I fucking love The Sharpest Lives as I've been preparing my notes over the last couple of days for this for this podcast. Interestingly enough, this one has always been like a really big favor for me. Again, it's one that just kind of bubbles under yeah. uh, my top three, but one that I really latched onto as a teenager and one that has never really like lost its shine for me this is the most like gerard getting sober song i think definitely I mean, obviously i've been on a bender and it shows so why don't you blow me a kiss before you go why don't you blow me a kiss, a kiss before, before she you... goes yeah it's a good line good it's line. a really good line i've always liked that reading it does feel like an asshole who's been on a bender yeah like it, it almost feels very bojack horseman in a way right? a little bit like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm not going to change. I don't need your help for changing, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just content to fade this way. Like, yeah. That's what I think the song is about. I think it's about the patient going on this big life-ending bender, hitting up all the dealers he used to know before he tried to get clean, and just putting as many drugs into his body as it could take before it shuts down. And I think that's how the song ends. I, you know, it has that very, like specific whirring noise and and I just picture him hating the ground like having overdosed like as the song concludes and dying yeah I think or at least like maybe ODing and like getting revived Mm -hmm. and like being resuscitated to only find out he still has cancer Mm -hmm. and like I I also really like the idea that he's like reconnecting with some of his like droogy friends yeah especially there's a place in the dark where the animals go you can take off your skin in the cannibal glow the lyrics in this one are insane it's so so crazy and dark i love it it's it was very informative on my like i wanted to be like a goth teen i wasn't Mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination but there were definitely like a lot of me like singing this into like a hairbrush in my room thinking i was really cool and emo sure and i'll just you know i'll never say no to a good like vampire reference in an mcr song that's true and that brings me up that brings me to my a question i wanted to ask you is three cheers for street revenge the only album without a direct vampire reference that one doesn't have any vampire lyrics on it i can't think of any i've been thinking of them for a couple days i haven't googled it specifically because I wanted to ask you. Oh, man, I can't think of one off the top of my head either. That feels wrong, though. I know, because Vampires Will Never Hurt You, this song, and Vampire Money. Yeah, they but all got them. Cheers doesn't have a doesn't say the word vampire at all. Interesting. I'm going to have to go back and revisit it, but I do think you might be right. Which is shocking. shit. Yeah, mind blown. Anyway, another stellar track here. Big fan of it to this day. The lyrics are great. It's the, the most Gerard getting sober song. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Uh, and next we've got, like, you know, the biggest song in the band's catalog, probably, The Black Parade. I mean, like, I know that's extremely boring, but it's like, it's yeah. bigger than this album. You know, it has become like it's reached like meme status. That's it's just like, oh, it's the Black Parade. Yeah. It's the Black Parade. I almost have nothing to say it's about the it title because, it's, yeah, it's and the it's Black the first Parade. First, My Chemical Romance song I ever heard. It's the mm-hmm. reason I love the band. I know every the names of all the members and started a whole podcast because I heard this song when I was 13 years old and someone sent me a YouTube link. And it's like a really good My Chemical Romance song it too, is. I think. It is. Like, it feels like the spiritual sequel to the big single from the last record uh, I'm Not Okay. Except it's been like rewritten kind of to be more like hopeful and more inspirational. Yeah. Like, it, it has this like very long piano intro which everybody is like, that's the part everybody's familiar with. Right. But then it kind of turns into a more traditional like my chemical romance song, yeah. I think it actually sounds more like Three Cheers than anything else on so the too, record. Especially with like the a woman sends you really. Yeah. The song sounds like I'm not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I I think it's only my number two because I rarely put this song on out of context of the rest of the album at this point. I kind of just, I never, I feel like I never reach for any single song on the Black Parade. If I want to listen to the Black Parade, I'd listen to the Black Parade, the album. The other two songs in my top three, my number three and my number one, are, are both there because specifically because I listened to them out of sequence of this album and in context of this album. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like I couldn't put this song on number at number three because it's, like you said, too big, too important. Yeah. I almost, ha- like you said, almost have nothing to say. It's just so big. It's like, how do you talk about Ziggy Stardust? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think, though, it's cool that, like, although this song does sound a little more like Three Cheers than anything else on the record... It's also clearly a huge step up from that album in terms of production. Yeah. It's got this huge bridge, which again is incredibly intense. When Gerard is shouting like, I'm just a man, I'm not a hero. Yeah. Eventually we get like an entire choir of Gerards going off. The yeah. entire band is going crazy behind him. All the horns are blaring and shit. It's like it's just a, a classic My Chemical Romance song that is also serving as a showcase for this new ambitious version of the band. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And I also never realized until we were listening to it before we started this episode, like the big epiphany that came to me was just how strong the Queen influence is on this song, especially with the like the 
backing vocals, do it like everyone else singing like a different line yeah. and then switching. That just feels like some real Night at the Opera shit. Like I'm not the biggest Queen fan, so I'm not, which is only to say that I'm not an authority on what does and doesn't sound like Queen, mm-hmm. but this feels like a pretty heavily influenced by Queen to me. Yeah. And narratively, I feel like this is like the song that's been discussed in interviews and stuff the most. Like, like I said, I think the patient dies at the end of the last track from his overdose, and he's greeted in the afterlife by this like giant parade, which right. is which is a, a thing that appears to him in that form because it's like this one really good memory that he has. It's his like favorite memory of going into the city, like the song talks about, with his dad as a child and seeing this parade. Yeah, and I think in the afterlife he's going to march with this parade kind of through purgatory towards his final judgment where it will be determined whether he goes to heaven or hell and as he travels through purgatory he's going to face like some of his greatest fears and some of his demons but the parade will kind of be there to serve as like his protector that will get him through it if he's worthy interesting i almost see it as like him getting a glimpse of what death is going to be like Mm -hmm. and not quite as scary as maybe he thinks or maybe more scary because i mean the iconography is pretty scary in the music video like the gas masks and the like yeah they're all dressed like like dead sergeant pepper Mm -hmm. members and maybe he's like equally like even more frightened but also like resigned to what's gonna happen i do think he gets revived though like i think this isn't, like, he doesn't stay dead for the rest of the narrative at this right. point. Especially just the, like, we'll carry on motif, which is like a which is a repeating line in, like, a couple of the other songs on this record, but it's most notably in this, at the end of this song, we'll carry on. I think they're like, it's not your time. They, like, force him to, like, come back to life. Only he's, like, revived from his drug overdose and still has cancer. Interesting. I definitely have thoughts on that uh, that I'll talk about as we get through the album. But, man, this song, right? Yeah. Like, so I, big. It goes through so many, like, changes and levels. Yeah. And, like, it it has a lot of phases, too. And I just really like it. It just hits so hard. There's really nothing else on the album like it, though, when it's, like, firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And really nothing like it in the entire My Chemical Romance catalog, I would argue. It is really a one-of-a-kind song for them. And I can see why it has since gone down as, like, the song that they will, in all likelihood, be known for. But why do you think this song was so popular when it came out? Like, what made it resonate with people so hard? Obviously, it's produced really well, it's written really well, it has a great music video, but plenty of songs are like that that don't reach this, like, mega status. It's so distinct, you know? It's, like, so unique, and it's got this opening line that, like, everyone remembers. And, like, I think with some people, there's kind of a degree to which they, like... It's very easy to make fun of. Sure. You know? And, like... Especially the piano intro. Yeah, the piano intro, and, like, the whole, like, when I was a young boy... Yeah. Like, my dad took me to a parade. Like... Yeah. Like they're it, like melodramatic, yeah, and so people remember it for that reason too. But like, there's like a quote that often goes around about like you too, I think, where like in order to reach the ambitious heights that that band reached, you need to put yourself out there in a way that's going to make you susceptible to like mockery a little bit. And you know, you too is a band that people have made fun of all right. throughout their career, and there are people who to this day make fun of My Chemical Romance. Yeah, but. But that's just a result of them putting themselves out there 
as far out there as they put themselves. Yeah, it's, it does feel very earnest, which I yeah. think people, like, hear and appreciate. And, and also, I think the fact that it has these, like, distinct phases gives, like, different audience members something to latch onto and make it their anthem. Because it is an it is an anthem. Yeah, earnestness is a good word to bring up here too. Because I think if I had to like say in a single word why I think this song was successful, and really moreover why I think this band was successful, it is because of how earnest they were, for better or for worse. Yeah, you know, I can totally agree with that. Great track, though. We we do need to move on. So let's talk about this next song. I don't love you. This one, Cancer, Sleep, and Disenchanted. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't into those at all, but I, I will be the first to tell you that 13-year-old me can suck a dick because this song slaps. Yeah. I love this song. Another one that's like was really fighting to be in my in my top three. Okay. I, I don't know why I like it so much, actually. I just... I think it's one of Gerard's best vocal performances in any of his songs, like across their whole discography. Mm -hmm. I think he puts in such an emotional performance, especially when he's, and, and especially just showing his emotional range from screaming out when you go to like the growly whisper at the end when he's like, would you have the guts to say, yeah. I don't love you. He does get very low down there in his register during that part one of the best parts of the song like it's so good the yeah piano during the bridge is really fucking good mm -hmm. but i when we were listening to it earlier and i was and this song came up and i was like really into it and i was thinking about how it kind of doesn't sound like a my chemical romance song to me i did have the thought what do you think alex saavedra thinks of I don't love it. Oh man, Alex Saavedra, there is a name that I've not heard in quite some time. I can't imagine he liked this album very much at all. I think you're right. I, I, What I wrote down was what do you think he thinks of this record, but I like kind of feel like uh -huh. if he was listening to this record for the first time, he was like not into it, and then he got to this song, and I like to think he turned the album. Yeah, off. threw it out the window or he something. Was just like, what happened? They've those, changed. <laughs> what happened to those punk guys who used to get high in my basement? I gotta say, I wouldn't fully agree with Alex Saavedra, but this is one. This is one that has always been like towards the bottom of the pile for me. Like, it's a good song, but it's not really 
this may sound shitty, but not really what I go to for like my comic romance for. Totally. It's like I do like that uh, better get up hook, but that's yeah. really like the only musical element of the song that I really, really like. The intro sounds a lot like Yellow by Coldplay to me. And I just kind of prefer my My Chemical Romance songs not to sound like Coldplay, like, when I have that opportunity, That's whenever possible. Fair. I don't really know Coldplay well enough to, like, know if this sounds it like sounds exactly like... Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to sound like anything to our listeners, but yeah, trust me, listen to the two songs. It sounds like Coldplay. Sure. I do like the role that I've always saw this song playing in the narrative, though. Okay. I do think, like, this is where the possibility that our like protagonist could be saved is introduced. Because yeah. I think, like I said, he dies at the end of Sharpest Lives from a drug overdose. But I think this song kind of cuts back to, you know, he's in the afterlife now. I think this cuts back to the world of the living, back to his lover, who, like, hasn't heard from him, like, throughout, like, this period that he's been on a bender, but is still super worried about him and trying to get in touch. I think they finally, like, worried enough to break into his apartment, like, seconds after he overdoses, and they call an ambulance, get him to an, a hospital, where he is resuscitated, but still in a coma, and gotcha. still going on his phantasmagorical, like, otherworldly journey to his final judgment, like, while his life hangs in the balance, like, yeah, on I Earth, like that reading of it. as she's, like, sitting next to, like, his hospital bed, like, waiting to see if he comes out of it. I just like the idea that, like, he's in the hospital bed, and that's when she finds out he has cancer. Mm-hmm. But I also just, like, I don't like the I don't love you part being, like, not something the patient is saying directly to his lover. Like, I like the idea that he survives drug overdose largely because of her. And then he's like, but I don't want to be with you. You can't save me. And then, like, she's, like, really hurt by that. But then through that is what makes, like, how she realizes he has cancer. Mm -hmm. I think, like, I do, like, I do think that another element of this song narratively is the patient, like, reflecting on, like, like I said, he reflects on his, like, failures and fears and his demons. And I think that is his most recent one having died, like, his failure to, like, face his, like, his terminal illness uh, like the person he was trying to be and instead relapsed into the person he was and sent, like, the one good thing in his life. So I think we're really starting to see those kind of, like, regrets pop up and eat away at him as he starts this journey of his. Sure. Yeah. All right, do you want to move on to the next track? Next track is House of Wolves. Just to repeat things I've said before, uh, 
fucking rocks. Mm -hmm. This was another one that was definitely in my top three as a kid. I've spent hundreds of hours singing this song into a hairbrush. Like, I think I liked how much it was just like vulgar, but like rock and cool and like scary and like a slasher. Also just an early album discovery for me. Like this might be the very first time in my whole life that I had a favorite song that was like a deep album cut from a record. And like no one who is not a big My Chemical Romance fan is ever likely to hear the song House of Wolves. And I think that endeared it to me in a way. It was actually used in the trailers and commercials for the Clive Owen movie Shoot 'em Up. So you're 100% wrong. You're right. But I Everyone don't blame you. I've seen the trailers for the Clive Owen movie <laughs> Shoot 'em Up. I'm just saying it could have happened. I, I come down a bit on the opposite side of this one. Like, it wasn't, it was a real early favorite for me. Mm -hmm. The first couple times I heard this record, I probably would have put this in my top three. But I've since kind of, like, gotten really sick of it. To the point where, like, every time I listen to it, I'm like, great. Now I gotta listen to House of Wolves. Interesting. It's not it's not fighting for a top position mm -hmm. anymore for me. It might be, like, more towards the bottom, I guess. But it's, it's still a banger. When I hear those drums, I get excited. It's definitely not, like, I don't dislike the song. It just, like, I've gotten very tired of it. And, like, it's not one that I feel plays a super big role in the narrative. Like, it just feels like the patient is now has begun his journey and is, like, seriously considering that he's going to go to hell and stuff. I think House of Wolves is, like, I like to think of it as the name of the bar he hangs out in mm -hmm. with his droogs. Like, that's his Malova Milk Bar yeah. is the House of Wolves. It definitely feels like it takes place at, like, a bar or something. So, like, after the Black Parade and, like, he almost and, like his near-death experience, and then he, like, officially is, like, pushes his girlfriend away for, like, the final, what he thinks is going to be the final time, mm -hmm. maybe is the final time. He like go. He like just goes to start his bender all over again, and that's what House of Wolves is. Gotcha. And it's like this very like, I'm not off this path of self destruction like everyone thought I was going to be. I didn't learn any lessons from that. I just learned that death is really fucking scary, like I thought it was. Mm -hmm. It does have definitely have, does have like a brutalist perspective where like I can see that playing into it for sure. The one thing that I do find, like, a little annoying about this one, oddly enough, is Gerard's performance on it. Okay. He, like, occasionally slips into, like, this impression of, like, a southern fire and brimstone preacher. Yeah, like, I think like, that's rolling his intentional. Arms. Definitely intentional. Jack White also does that, and it's something that has always annoyed me the fuck, like, annoyed the fuck out of me when he does it, too. Okay. So I just, I don't know, it always just makes me roll my eyes a little bit. That's fair. That's a solid song musically, but it's got some performances that have really worn on me and don't really think it's super integral to the plot. So that's fair. I, I could, if I, if you had to cut a song on this record, I wouldn't want to see it go. It's not the first I would cut. Okay. It's, I think it's like, we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like a solid, it really is a solid enough song. And like, I enjoy it enough when I listen to the album after not having heard it in a while. Yeah. But it, like going at it, like to research for an episode of a podcast and like listening to it a lot. This is one of the ones that wears on me first. Sure. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. If you like it. If you I'm like it. on favor. In favor. Yeah, I, you're, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't judge anyone first no. that said this was their favorite song on the album. Up next is another one that, like, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of. Real slow point in the right for me. It is Cancer. 
turn away If you could get me a drink of water Cause my lips are chapped and faded Call my Aunt Marie Help her gather all my things And bury me in all my favorite colors My sisters and my brothers Yeah. This song is like, I get why it's important in like the narrative and like the stage play version. This is the part where everyone cries. But like, I don't want to listen to it all the time. Like when I'm listening to, the, I've always kind of skipped this song when it comes on if I'm just throwing it on for myself, including and up to like now. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not as averse to it as I was when I was a kid. But it's sort of like Lou Reed Berlin in a way. Yeah, it is a lot like Lou Reed Berlin. Where it's Berlin. just like... Or just like, it's a fucking bummer, dude. I don't want to listen to this. Yeah, like, I understand why you need the, like, sad low point for your for the narrative you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad they committed to it on the record. And I'd love to see, like, someone really just, like, break my heart on stage when they sang it. But, like, it's not my favorite song to put on. Yeah, it's, like, a solid enough piano ballad, but musically there isn't a lot that, like, I, as a musical listener, really grab onto. And I I do think, like, there's something kind of, like, gauche about Gerard singing from the perspective of a cancer patient. Like, terminal illness being a part of the record doesn't really bother me too much, but here it does kind of, like... I do get a little like, oh, so you're really role-playing a cancer patient here, huh, buddy? Yeah, like, and like, and that's a metaphor for you getting sober. He's like, wow, getting sober is like having cancer. Yeah. It's like, I do like the metaphor, like, getting sober is like taking a phantasmagorical trip through the afterlife and going to hell and, like, being judged. Yeah. But, like, I really don't know if, like, Gerard Way, like, has a lot of, like, experiences that, like, do make him know, like, what a cancer patient actually feels like. Sure. You know, it's a, it's a, like, I'm not one to, like, cancel a musician for, like, a reason like that. Of course not. But it's not something I, like, generally get into either. Right. Yeah. I would agree with that. And, yeah. and I will say, at least the two, there are two downer songs on this album, like, mm -hmm. real downers. And it, they are both the shortest songs on the record coming in at, um, they're, the, they're the only songs that come in under three minutes besides the bonus track. Yeah. Which is nice. At least they don't, at least the mega downers don't like overstay their welcome. And at least there's no like children crying. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like children crying because like Lou Reed has just told them that their mother has died. When right. in fact she, she's okay, but he really wants some authenticity in this take. <laughs> right. At least it doesn't go like that yeah. far. This was a single though, wasn't it? No. No, I'm pretty. No. Are you sure? Yeah. Was I Don't Love You a single? Yeah. Okay. I, I Don't Love You was up. a single. I don't I get I don't, those mixed and up. It, I think it was only a single in the UK though. Gotcha. All right. I, I Don't Love You was a UK single. That makes a little more sense to me. Uh, anything more to say about this one before we move on? God, it's just so fucking depressing when Gerard's like, baby, I'm just soggy from the chemo. Yeah. Narratively, I think this is the song where the patient is really like forced to confront his illness. And I also think this is probably where his lover discovers for the first time that he's terminally ill. You know, like, yeah. they brought him back to the hospital. He has, like, connected all these IVs, and they're like, oh, and by the way, you know, this might have something to do with his terminal diagnosis that he got a couple yeah. couple days ago. And she's like, what? 
Right. But, I, like, you know. This is, like, and we're, like, in solid act two, like, after the intermission. Like, I think House of Wolves is the, like, this is what happened while, while you were away. Like, this is what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Kind of lights come back up and we get House of Wolves just to, like, get everyone back into the musical mood. And then we get some narrative stuff and this is, like, the big, like, this is the big emotional point of, like, right before the climax. Yeah, and then we get a very big track on the album. It feels like we've got Mama. Mama, we all go to hell. Mama, we all go to hell. I'm writing this letter and wishing you well. Mama, we all go to hell. Oh, well, now, Mama. This definitely would have rounded out my, or been in my top three. I can't remember if this was the third one, but like in my in my youth, one hundred percent agree. This was three. this one really jumped out at me as like a as like a dramatic gothy kind of teenager. Yeah, it like thrilled me how horrifying it is. Like, yeah, it's real spooky. It's really cool though. I really like it. It's also I've decided in the last like couple times I've been listening to it this week. It's the closest uh, Gerard Way's ever come to making a Tom Waits song. It is very Tom Waitsian, isn't it? Yeah, I, I would really love that. to hear a Tom Waits version of it. And sure. there's like a layer of the vocals where Gerard is like doing his like really yeah. raspy voice. I don't know what I'm doing to my legs and to my like, song. And it's like layered in there in yeah. some other parts besides that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that is what Tom Waits would sound like if he sang this song. Yeah. And I would really love to hear that cover. It's definitely, I think what's bringing to mind Tom Waits for you is, like, the whole, like, cabaret yes, atmosphere. Because definitely. this is, more than any song on the album, where they lean the hardest into the whole Broadway musical concept. Yeah. Like, for that reason, today, it's kind of harder for me to get into it than, like, it was as a teen first approaching this album. For sure. Like, by the end, I feel like, but, you know, it's still obviously an incredible success for, like, what they were going for. Absolutely. By the climax of the song, I feel like I'm, like, watching a scene from, like, a Tim Burton stop-motion musical. Yeah. And there are all these, like, Definitely. skeleton puppets and demon puppets, like, really singing at me. This was, like, like deep into the, like, Tim Burton-Johnny Depp pairing, too. Yeah. Like, in just the zeitgeist. Like, yeah. It fits that I'm really surprised well. it wasn't, like, immediately turned into, a, like, a Tim Burton-directed stage production, almost. The way that, like... It, it only took them like four or five years to do that Green Day musical. Absolutely. It's crazy that there's a Green Day musical and there's not a My Chemical Romance musical. Yeah, there there should be a My Chemical Romance music, or a musical for all of their albums. Yeah. Like, literally every single one of their albums should have a stage play. They'd all work. Why there isn't. They'd all work. Narratively, I think this song is about the patient confronting the horrible things he did in Iraq. Okay. I think the album also implies ruined his relationship with his family. Okay. Yeah. Like... 
and having the song about the protagonist's mother is also like a, class, a classic rock opera move. Yeah. Like the wall has a song about it. I think there's a lot. Mother. Of, there's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff on Tommy about his mom too. Yeah. Yeah. That is that is interesting. I actually hadn't thought of that of the mother comparison, but that is obviously there. And mm-hmm. the wall was a big influence, as we've talked about. I actually see it more literal than that. Mm-hmm. I think this is when uh, he goes to see his mom who he's been estranged from and his mom's like a real monster and like in a very Bojack Horseman Beatrice Horseman way where it's like oh you realize that like a lot of your sympathy comes from oh he never had a chance because this is who his mom was sure and then have this like this point where he's like trying to like he's trying to reconnect with her in some fashion and she's just not doing it mm-hmm. not going for it just like being her whole same old like monstrous self and he finally is just like okay i have cancer and then then she's just like wait oh no and then she like complete 180s and that's mm-hmm. when liza minnelli comes in in the song yeah liza like, minnelli michael mcgrimmett's featuring liza minnelli i like, remember feeling like, like that was a crazy thing even as a teenager and today it is still kind of weird it's still pretty weird yeah. Lucille too makes an appearance uh-huh. that's where <laughs> i was mainly familiar with her as a teen when i was listening to this album i was like oh I've been watching Arrested Development. It's been on at the moment, and hey, here she is popping up. I didn't see Lebron Arrested Development album. for another couple years after that, mm-hmm. and it was years still before I was like, "Holy shit, that's the same person!" Like I never connected the dots right. for a long time. But yeah, I think that like the first part of the song is basically him telling it his mom that he has cancer, and then his mom being like, "Oh shit! Well, if you'd come back to me and let and like, then we could." like get back to like where yeah. we were mm-hmm. like i do think i think it's interesting uh your interpretation of his mother as like you know of him not having a chance because his mother was like horrible to him like i do think this is a record that is interested in like exploring like the whole like cycle of abuse thing and seeing what's responsible for this character being like the not great person that he is in the story and i, I just like the idea that like the emotional like impact of going from the big high point of cancer of the song or the emotional, the emotional high point and like low point Mm -hmm. of cancer and going to like confront your mom about it. And then she's just kind of a bitch to you. And you're like, well, fuck you. I'm never going to see you again anyway. And it just like ending with your mom, like the scene just ends with you walking off set and your mom, your stage mom just crying. And then, like, the lights go down. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Intense yeah. stuff. Anything else about this one? No. Cool. I have been looking forward to talking about this next track a lot because it is my number three on the album. Really? Sleep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Very exciting. I, I definitely lump this one in with Cancer as, like, I love what it does for the narrative of the album, but I'm rarely, like, feeling this track. I think this one is fucking sick. I mean, it opens with those recordings of Gerard talking about the night terrors he'd been having in the Paramore Mansion. Yeah. I have these I have these terrors. Feels like just like somebody's gripping my throat. I fucking love that and the way they pop up throughout the entire song. Yeah. The piano intro is great and then when the band drops in Shit. 
real chef's kiss of the moment. Yeah. Like, the band has never sounded as like powerfully produced, I think, as they sound on this one. The production on this definitely saves it from being like a, a skip like Cancer is. Mm -hmm. Like Cancer, I forgot to mention this and I'm just gonna throw it in now out of context. Yeah. When I saw My Chemical Romance in concert, they played Cancer and Gerard did it a cappella just by himself and it was just like the most heart-wrenching, terrible, yeah. like look, my friend who I was with started sobbing and I'm just like, this song doesn't fall into that trap because it does have, it does get really big, right? Mm -hmm. And I, so I, I do let this one play now on like when I was a kid. It's, and I love the way it's produced, like you said, the way that like- The guitars are like yeah. pulverizing and crushing, yeah. just so big and colossal. Gerard said that this was his favorite song on the record when it came out. He wow. since changed to a different song okay. that we haven't gotten to yet. Right. But this, when it came, when the album came out, this was his favorite. Number three on the record for me, like I said, so like it feels very climactic and anthemic and powerful. The guitars are really intense. I love that way it incorporates those samples of Gerard talking about his night terrors. And the climax is like incredible. Yeah. Just, Gerard screaming, wake up. And the way that like the final guitar riff brings the song to a close. Like, yeah. It's like screaming. So much Gerard screaming. I love it. Yeah. It's really good. Very atmospheric. Very like climactic. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know if we like reach a bigger point of climax in the movie. Like, no. Like this, like narratively, this feels like it's about uh, simultaneously the patient trying to make peace with his death and whatever fate ultimately awaits him at the end of his journey, and also his lover trying to make peace with the fact that like the patient is going to die soon, if not from his overdose, then yeah. from the terminal illness. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, I love where it sits in the narrative. I love the production on it. It just, it's still a little bit too much of a downer for me to like, for it to like go towards the top of my favorites. Yeah, it feels like we're kind of like wrapping things up, but we got a couple more tracks to get yeah. through. Up next, we've got another song I've been looking forward to talking to you about, Teenagers. I'm just gonna say it now, my number one on the record. They're gonna clean up your looks with all the lies in the books to make a citizen out of you. Because they sleep with a gun and keep an eye on you, son, so they can watch all the things you do. Because the drugs never work, they're gonna give you a smirk, cause they got methods of keeping you clean. They're gonna rip up your heads, your aspirations to shreds, another cock in the murder machine. They said, Are you serious? My number one on the record. Really? It's my most listened to song by, on this record for sure. I have, and it, it's my number one on the record because I have some really great memories associated with the song. Okay. Like, it's like definitely the most nostalgic song on the record. For one, like it's the only one that my, it's the only one that like my parents like mm -hmm. growing up. So it was like, it was the only one I was like, when we were just like listening to music as when I was like, growing up, I could put that one on and my parents would be like, ugh, skip that, I hate this. Yeah. So like for that, I listened to it a bunch, but also like when I did musical theater in high school, 
we would often like sing this song as like a group team building like warm-up exercise before opening night so like we'd all be like in costume backstage and we'd all like circle up and sing this song this album is like theater kid as hell it super is and this song i just it just vibes with me it's such a great like rock song like mm -hmm. it, i i also agree that it's such a weird pick for my favorite on the album because weird pick for a single too it's it's also like it doesn't fit with the rest of the album like like i can't come up with how this fits narratively all in the b side of this album like mm -hmm. if it were in the a side or if narrative is like totally backwards if you just think of it that way then teenagers is like yeah he and him and his troops fucking shit up before he has cancer maybe that's maybe it's just a flashback and that's what it is but like i i don't know it just hits with me i really like it i get catch it it's catchy i like get excited when i hear it i just have the most like nostalgic emotional reaction to this song and so i couldn't not give it number one just for that narratively i think like i've said throughout this journey that the patient is on he's had to face his demons and his fears and stuff and i think this is him facing one of his earliest fears which was like i think here we get a little bit more of his backstory and find out that he was like seriously bullied when he was a teenager yeah. himself and that kind of maybe plays a very integral role in in shaping him into the kind of cat, like degenerate character that yeah. he is, the misanthrope that he is. Totally, you know? he I, was mistreated as a as a as a young man, and he grew up to be like twisted as a result of it. Totally, I mm -hmm. I think that that's a great way to read it. I do just kind of wish it it sat on the A side from a narrative perspective, but I like where it, it fits in the actual sequence. I like it being towards the end because it builds it up as this big yeah. thing. You know? Yeah, I just really like it. I like the music video, which is like very similar to the Smells Like Teen Spirit music video in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. It does feel like the most Smells Like Teen Spirit song on the record, which is why I, I'm, I'm always, I was very shocked to learn it wasn't a bigger hit, which we talked about before the recording. Yeah, it got up to like number 60 something on the Billboard charts, where it's like uh, Welcome to the Black Parade and Helena from Three Cheers Before It. Those both charted much higher. Which, which is interesting. But I do remember this one being, like, everywhere this at the time. This song felt like it was everywhere at the time. Yeah. Gerard had, like, ditched the blonde hair by the time the music video came out, and he had the black hair. And, like, it, I really like this song. It just really stops for me. Unfortunately, it's, like, my least favorite song on the album, and maybe my, like, least favorite My Chemical Romance song. Really? I really don't like teenagers. Damn! Maybe because I, like, heard it too much as a teenager. But, maybe. like... It just really has, like, I'm sick of it, man. Like, man. I can't put on this song and enjoy it anymore. I put this song, like, I'll put this song on in a pl in another playlist. It's, like, it's just too much of the... Or like, just, like, randomly, if I'm in the car, if I'm like, I only have five minutes to get somewhere, I'll throw this one yeah. on. Like, that's why it's my number one, because it's the song I revisit out of context of the album the most. It's just too much of a novelty for me, I guess. Sure. I, I, I get what you're saying. It's got a I good... knew you wouldn't like this song, because mm -hmm. I feel like we've talked about this before. I feel like we have talked about it. And for some reason, I remember you agreeing with me. Nah. But I'm, I'm glad you've been able to take me so by surprise with it as your number one. Yeah. I you know? It was so... At least between us, we've got all the bases covered on ways that people feel about this track. Definitely. It's just so... Fun. And it's, I agree that, like, n not a lot of the rest of the album is fun, so maybe that's a bad thing in terms of, like, the actual narrative. It's not a bad bit of comedic relief, I think. Yeah. yeah. But there's only so much that I can really like the comedic relief in this. Sure. Instance, but I love I the guitar. I love, 
I love Gerard's vo- vocals. I just like the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, like I said, not for me, but I know that it has its fans. It yeah. was a very successful single for them. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. Cool. Let's move on to, we got kind of the penultimate track here. Yeah. Disenchanted. Which, which comes in at my number three. into this like yeah. penultimate slot in between two of the bands like more noticeable so- more notable songs yeah and so like it just doesn't get a lot of attention but it's a really good solid it's track a really good solid track i definitely again i will put this on like separate from the rest of the album put it in some other playlists listen to it if i've got a short drive or listen to teenagers and yeah. then this song and I I just really like it. It really hits with me. And again, it was it was an early one that like I skipped a lot as a kid, and uh-huh. I was like, oh maybe I'll like I like revisited it for the first time in a while, and was like, oh wow, this one's really good. It felt like this like rediscovery of something I had like of like a toy I had cast off as a kid, and then was like, actually this one is the best. I definitely have like similar relationships to other tracks like that, so I definitely know what you mean. It's got such a great like swell. Yeah, the swell the- is really good. The- chorus is really good the chorus like and other parts of it too it always makes me feel like this song is kind of like like what uh i don't love you could have been if maybe they spent like a little more time with it and brought it up to like the next level because this song is very reminiscent of that one i think but it just feels more fleshed out and better ran sure yeah i i also feel like it it reminds me so much of cemetery drive which is one of my favorites on yeah i remember that and i was expecting you to bring it up i think that this song plays like a very similar role in the black parade that cemetery drive plays in three cheers i'm like maybe that's a detractor you could argue that it's a detractor because it's so similar they're doing the same move again but But the song itself is so well written and so well produced i can't complain at all i really like it i did just recently learn that the Watch All Your Heroes Sell a Car on TV is a reference to the fact that Led Zeppelin did some car selling commercials. Nice. That's one of my favorite lines in the song, for sure. Narratively, I think this one is about the narrator realizing, like, how disappointed his life turned out to be and having to face the fact that now he's, like, potentially dead and won't get to write himself a happier ending. Yeah, I think that's a great read for it. I don't have anything else to add to it, honestly. There's some complex emotions going on in this one. Really good track. Very melancholy, song. though. Like, Very he doesn't melancholy. feel like that. Wistful. He doesn't feel angry about it. He no. feels like resigned. Yeah, and that's why I think the the title is perfect. Disenchanted. Yeah, totally. It sounds like what it is. You totally. know? Really good song. Definitely one that I think deserves a little more love in the fan community. Although 
I'm not super in touch with the fan community. Maybe people talk about how great the song is every day. Yeah, maybe. Yes. I don't know. I, I haven't not, seen any love posts for it on Reddit or anything, but like, hopefully. If not, they should be. Agreed. This next one, though, is like, this kind of last one is certainly this one, you know, gets all the respect it deserves. It's my second favorite song on the album, Famous Last Words. No, I know that I can't make you stay. But where's your heart? But where's your heart? But where's your... Now, there's nothing I can say To change that part To change that part To change... is the song that rounds out my top three at, from when I was a kid. Definitely a big early favorite of mine. I can remember like my dad had just gotten serious radio when this came out mm -hmm. and this was on like Alt Nation a lot and I was so I remember like this is one of my first fa first favorite car songs even before I had like a car of my own. Yeah. And it also just to tie back to Ziggy Stardust one more time Reminds me a lot of Rock and Roll Suicide. Sure, there are some Which is one of my favorites there, yeah. on that record, mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. Just the way the, like, uh, the, the way that he, the, like, the call, the call to action at the end is so similar to, um, to You're Not Alone. Yeah. This is, like, the song that allegedly got Mikey to stay in the band. Yeah, though. I read that, too. He was in this period while they were recording at the Paramore where he was really, like, not feeling it. Everything was too intense for them. He, he was he was dealing with uh, a lot of substance abuse problems yeah. himself at this point, and he was not living with the band anymore. And everyone was like, "This fucking sucks." Not having Mikey here. Gerard like has all these there's all these quotes from Gerard where he's like, "It was like we were ghosts during that period." And, yeah. Like I didn't want to go on without Mikey. And eventually, him and him and I think it was him and Ray or him and Frank just like sat down and they wrote this song together or like at least like the bare bones of the song and then they played it for mikey like the next time he visited and that was the moment where they were all like we gotta we really gotta get back together and keep seeing this thing through to the yeah end. like my chemical romance doesn't work if like it it requires both way brothers mm -hmm. i think yeah and it's interesting that you said he was that Mikey had been sleeping in Gerard's room yeah. to avoid the blue room because I think that's like a fucking dog at the foot of his bed. Can you I, picture that? I don't. I don't like, know if it was at the foot of his bed. That's I what know. I always picture. I know. Like, I curled he's, up. No, there, he's, you know? he's like literally. I see you lying next to me, awake and unafraid. Like that. Oh my gosh! I never even connected that. <laughs> wow. He's literally like 
no, buddy, you you can get through this. Like, I see how, like, I, I you were in my room shaking with fear. That's so good. And then, like, you came over and we hung out and it was all okay because yeah. we were hanging out. Like, like it's a, it's a little gay. But, uh, like, you know, brotherly love. Like, whatever. brotherly love. Like, I like that there's a love song to his brother and that it's this big album closer that slaps. Yeah, and, and like, weren't they, like, at one point, like, expecting this to be the last My Chemical Romance album? I think album, so. I think they were like, we're never going to be able to do this again. Yeah, this was going to be the last My Chemical Romance song. They said the famous quote from this album session, I think, is that, like, this is the album that almost killed us. Yeah. And this is the song that, like, really saved their lives. They really thought they'd never get back. They'd never, like be able to do another album and this is them just being like fuck it then we gotta give it all our, our all on the last track the lyrics in this one are so good too like there are so many images in this one that make me just like i i've always seen this one also as being really like uh influenced by gerard's struggles with substance abuse mm -hmm. like there's that second verse that's like can you see me my eyes are shining bright because i'm out here on the other side of a jet black hotel mirror and i'm so weak I just picture him like really hitting rock bottom, yeah. like a hotel, like on the on the three cheers tour or something. Yeah. He's like staring at himself in the mirror, like consumed by darkness, and being like, "Fucking something's got to give," you know. And this is this is the song where like all of that plays out. Yeah. And narratively, of course, this was also like this is one of the biggest songs in the narrative. Yeah. This, this is, is where... him returning. And to me, this is him returning to the Black Parade and like unafraid. Okay. See, it's a little different for me because. I think this is the song where the patient faces his final judgment, right? Right. And despite all of his regrets, he is damned to hell. Right. And the parade disperses, and he's consumed by, like, flames and darkness. And the thought that if he could, like, go back and do one thing differently, it would be to stop himself from, like, sending his lover away in his time of need. Right. And in favor of reconciling with his fate and at least facing it alongside someone who cares about him. Yeah. And then suddenly, at the moment in the song when like all the music cuts out, yeah. except for just Gerard and and that guitar, and when he's singing that lyric, definitely my favorite part of the whole song. The whole album for me, it is my Honestly, favorite part of the whole. Album. I'm gonna agree with you. I think it's my favorite part too. That part where he's like, "I see you lying next to me with words I thought I'd never speak, awake and unafraid, asleep or dead." I think when we get to that part, everything cuts out except for Gerard and that guitar, and then we cut back to like the waking world. And the patient wakes up in his hospital bed, and his lover is sitting there next to him, still hoping he'd wake up. And, like, they don't even initially realize that he's back, but then they do, and they, like, passionately embrace, and they're holding each other and kissing each other, and he's still terminally ill, but at least he's back, you know? Yeah. And everything, like, slows down in that embrace, and then we just cut to black, like, motherfucking first performed. Hell yeah. You know? Nice. Hell yeah. I'm like, in. I'm, I would watch that movie. Yeah. That would be a climax of a movie. I'm in. I like, love that. Nothing is truly resolved because yeah. he's still terminally ill and maybe going to die in two weeks. But at least now... He's like, out of the cone. Knowing what's awaiting for him, knowing the test that is awaiting for him possibly on the other side. Yeah. He is like committed to facing it. Like not as like the degenerate that he can be, but like as like a man, you know? 100%. Yeah. I love that reading of it. Uh, it trumps anything I have. That is like the hopeful ending that I see. I love that. I like really at like the, at the At the admittedly dark ends of this record. Yeah. I like the more melancholic, like, with chance of hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But man, we... Actually, we haven't made it. No, we no, have one more we song. One more. If we... If, to we're discuss. Gonna, we're going to sit here silently for one minute and 30 seconds, and then we'll start talking about the last... The bonus track, Blood. 
and I'll cut it out so you at home don't have to listen to it. So Ben, what do you think about blood? Well, they encourage your complete cooperation. Send your roses when they think you need to smile. I can't control myself because I don't know how. And they love me for it, honestly. I'll be here for a while, so give them blood, blood. Gallons of the stuff, give them all that they can drink and it will never be enough. So give them blood, blood, blood. Grab a glass because there's going to be a flood. I think it's a fun, funny, catchy song. I wouldn't, I could take or leave it. I sure. like that um, in the Black Parade is Dead, the live album, it blood is included but it's just the studio version with the first minute and a half cut out okay so it just what the song just plays yeah which was always really nice to have that version like in like the era of spotify and itunes and stuff i could just put that song in my playlist mm -hmm. and have have blood if i wanted to listen to it but not have to sit there for a minute and a half yeah i almost always sit either skip to it or sit through the minute and a half and actually listen to the song it's fun and funny it doesn't do anything for yeah. the record. Like, I can see some people actually, like, actively disliking this song. Yeah. Because maybe they feel like it takes away from the true finale that is Famous Last Words. But, like, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, I think it's a cool little, neat little tune. It What it feels like, and what I appreciate it most as, is it feels like walkout music after you've just seen a play. That's exactly what it seems like to me. Or maybe, like, they play the song really quiet. They, like, play the piano part. Mm-hmm quietly while all of this like all of the actors come out for their like applause yeah i even like that in like a movie version that you would still do that instead of credits mm -hmm. and like this song would just play quietly in the yeah. background it's, while everyone's like Yay, yeah 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 it's good credits music credits music though if yeah. nothing else i do i don't think it plays any role in the narrative although there is a kind of like meaning that i've always like okay. seen into it or like something like that like i've always imagined this song or thought about it in the context of how many photo shoots they were doing earlier in the yeah. career where people would just, like, cover them in fake blood. Yeah. So when I listen to this song, I, like, picture a montage of Mike Hemmelfarvitz going to photo shoot after photo shoot and just being dumped in gallons of blood over sure. and over again, you know? Yeah. Blood, give me gallons of the stuff. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And, like, they have such, like, a vampiric mm -hmm. lean to them. Like, yeah. it fits anyway. Um, but, yeah, I don't have anything, like, I don't have any revelatory thoughts about this track. It's just good. Fun little outro. Exactly. Have you checked out any of the um, the B-sides from this album? I was big into some of them when I was a teenager. Uh -huh, I, me too. I distinctly remember really liking Kill All Your Friends. That was the name of that song. Yeah. There's Kill All Your Friends is a good one. I definitely recommend anyone who might not have heard that track Go check it out. Yeah, there's only two. It's Kill All Your Friends and My Way Home is Through You. And I like yeah. I like both of those tracks. I, I remember also like feeling fond of My Way Home is Through You, but... Oh, well, sorry, three. There's also uh, Heaven Help Us. Right. I don't remember that one, but I just do remember that uh, Kill All Your Friends felt like somewhat of like a lost classic My Chemical Romance track. Like if, like, if this was an album that wasn't so conceptually sound... I would have really enjoyed seeing them slotted on this one. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad that the album itself is 
feels as tight as it does mm. because the album is like is 13 tracks and like 51 minutes but it blazes by like i yeah. feel like i start the record and i just barely blink and then we're like on side two already i think something you can really credit that too is how well it's like sequenced too you know this is just a really easy album to get through even yeah. though i don't love all the songs i would say i love the entire album experience i would i would totally agree with that and i think that the addition of more tracks even if they're tracks i like would detract from it for me yeah i i'm the kind of person who will like in most cases take a sleek and streamlined album rather than one that's filled with as many tracks that i like as possible i i, I agree it's cool so we did it man we finally sat down and talked about the black parade i know this feels, feels like, like weight has been ruined for my chest i I couldn't agree more. It feels like we've really like gotten to something that's been a long time coming. I, I hope people tuned into it. I hope people liked it. I can't wait for you guys all to hear the, this episode. But yeah, and once again, shout out to all the listeners who like are going to return and who have like given us positive reviews on iTunes, of which there are quite a few by this yeah, point. Yeah, and we really do appreciate it. Yeah. We've checked it out, and we, we really appreciate everyone who who's listened to it and liked it. Like we said at the top of the show, we're not sure when we're going to come out with another episode. Maybe we'll try and make this perfectly an annual podcast. Maybe we'll do like another one in six months or three months or next week. I don't know yet. We will at least do Danger Days next year at some point. You know, if if we don't get on back on on something resembling a regular schedule... We're going to talk about Danger Days in 2021, and I'm really stoked to talk to you Me about Danger too. Days. I, I honestly, I can say that I hope it's sooner rather than later, just because I cannot fucking wait to talk about Danger Days with you. Yeah, but until we get to that, I will. Uh, do you want? Do you want to say where people can find you on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at bh pit. I'm on uh, Twitter at Trevor Ikrath with all the vowels taken out. That's T R V R. K-R-T-H. And I think you can find this show on Twitter at Not Okay Podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume I'm remembering that right. I haven't been on there in quite some time. But go follow us at Not Okay Podcast or follow whoever does happen to have that URL yeah. if somebody And hit does. us up if you're a big fan if you're a fan of the show or you, you like what we're doing here, hit us up on social media in general and let us know. Yeah, I think we also have a Gmail, not okay at gmail not okay podcast at gmail.com. Again, don't hold me to it. You might be sending letters into the void, but hey, you could at least try. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know what else there is to say, uh, other than keep your boots tight, keep your guns close, and die with your masks on if you've got to. I'm Ben Pitt. I've been Trevor Ickraff, and we are still not okay. And this is how we disappear. All